0: Charlene has assisted hundreds of individuals, couples, and families in outpatient behavioral health programs, employee assistance programs, HIV treatment programs, community mental health clinics, non-governmental organizations, and university counseling centers, as well as private practice in Jamaica, in New York, in Massachusetts. She's a licensed clinical psychologist with the state of New York and the Council for Professions Supplementary to Medicine in Jamaica. She studied at Cornell, at University of Massachusetts Amherst at Columbia University and New York State Psychiatric Institute and Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York. She has served in senior and executive management positions in national health programs in Jamaica and is an expert in public health research who leads a national research in Jamaica for the University of California, San Francisco and she wears many other hats, including Supermom. (laughs) All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Charlene to the podium.
1: Afternoon, everyone. One word, pep. So I'm practicing all my psychological skills to survive pep and the pep curriculum. Afternoon, thank you for having me I'm here, Joan. and thank you to the previous presenters. I've learned much, and you guys have all set the stage very well, so I will build on that, and I'll watch the time. OK. So workplace wellness, I think we're clear on that. I missed most of the first presentations. I had to sit outside, wearing another hat on a conference call. My apologies. But I, from the feedback, I get that you know we have a very good sense of what a comprehensive and effective workplace wellness program will look like. We understand the policies. And I wanted to add to this that I think in recent years, we've done a good job. The Ministry of Health has done a really good job of mainstreaming Wellness and really normalizing the idea of taking care of yourself and taking care of yourself in the work setting, in the workspace, right? And the Jamaica Moves campaign, which Minister Tufton has been a really strong advocate for, and they've signed on a number of different um, organizations to this, and our presenter from earlier, his companys right up there, number four. Five on the list so you can imagine what these other ones are doing after what he explained to us because this is the moves the amount of steps the races position and different things so it's impressive and this builds on I think a strong history of programs in different organizations in Jamaica so a lot of our companies had wellness programs emphasizing different things maybe it was just the meals maybe it was the movement maybe it was social hours for um, their staff sports days different things So I think this new thrust from the ministry has really helped to normalize it and to ensure that all employees and employers are aware of this opportunity. And in September, the ministry launched a new campaign around mental health. And this got me very happy. And talking about removing the stigma around mental health. And in doing that, they're emphasizing addressing the challenges people have in accessing mental health care, And really, and I know a thrust coming out of this campaign will be to address workplace issues and emphasize the need for workplace to facilitate their employers, employees accessing mental health services. And so I'm excited. I think all of this work happening from that national level really makes your work easier in your organization. And it also just this broader campaign allows the broader population to understand these issues and hear it in different ways. So for mine, I'm going to be mindful of time, go through a few slides talking about mental health needs that you might have in your staffing, in your workplace, some of the elements of a comprehensive employee assistant program, a EAP, and some of the resources to address the mental health needs and psychological well-being in your team. So... My inner epidemiologist crept out in the next few slides, and you'll see why. <laughs> Look at some data. How common are emotional problems in, among Jamaicans? So this is a study that I was a part of the technical team. It was from Ministry of Health in 2017, and it's a national household-based survey, 2,000 persons. Um, it's, the sample is meant to be representative of the general population, so you can really picture the data and see how it applies to your workplace and how it applies even as we are sitting in this room, right? We asked four questions on there that really tapped into some of the core areas of um, anxiety and depression, and these were the responses. So among the 1,008 men who were in the study, young men and adult men, we asked, in the last two weeks, how often have you not been able to stop or control worrying? And we asked, how often have you felt down or depressed or hopeless? And 28% of the men said, yes, they've been experiencing this over the last two weeks. And if you see a small percentage, it was that 3.6% of them said every day for the last two weeks. Felt down or depressed? Overall, 39% of the men said, yes, I've had those feelings in the last two weeks. of them said several days, 8.7% said more than half the days, and 5% said nearly every day. Women, it's a lot higher, 44% of the women said they haven't been able to stop or control their worrying in the last two weeks, and 54% said I felt down or depressed um, or hopeless in the last two weeks, and 10% of the women said every day. We also asked about suicide ideation. So, in the last 12 months, how often had you experienced thoughts that you'd be better off dead, or um, not, or wanting to hurt yourself in some way? And 13% of women, 7.5% of men, said yes. I've had those thoughts several days, or more than half the days. One of the things we know about mental illness is a lot of folks don't come to psychologists and psychiatrists. They actually end up in a, private, in a general physician or with a specialist physician because they'll seek care for other health issues. And we know that among persons seeking care for other health conditions, the um, rate of mental health um, issues are much higher. So for example, a, Host of studies have shown that persons with chronic illnesses, diabetes, hypertension, chronic pain, heart disease, between 10 to 40% of them will also have depression. But they'll be in a general physician or in a specialist getting the medical condition treated. This data here is from a study that I did when I was with the Ministry of Health, and this was in STI clinics. Dian mentioned that my other passion outside of psychology is working in HIV treatment and specifically with HIV-positive persons. And we did this study, not just with HIV-positive persons, but everyone seeking care at STI clinics in four parishes. And this was the most surprising finding, and we did a diagnostic interview, and 44% of the women, 37% of the men, met the diagnostic criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder, which speaks to having experienced some significant trauma and still being affected by it, still having the flashbacks, still having intrusive thoughts, still, you know, having a host of different emotional um, challenges around that. In this study, we also looked at anxiety, we looked at depression, substance use, psychotic disorders, and 72% of the men, 61% of the women screened, met the diagnostic criteria for at least one condition, and... Sorry, I'm not multitasking well. And I don't have my glasses, so I actually can't really read what's on there. (laughs) (laughs) We're working it out. We're working it out. So so enough of them also had many different disorders. The other shocking thing coming out of it was 80% of these persons who had at least one Condition never received help from a mental health profession, right? And so they're, they're at the clinic. Luckily, we had the team of psychologists going through all the clinics for like six months, screening people, so we we're able to flag them and refer because they're severe issues. It's not like a wanting or a passing sadness. We're talking meeting criteria that means it's affecting your life, right? And your functioning. So, even without the diagnosable things, we, you know, just every day we, all of us, not just the employees, but all of us, we have so many other things that we have to contend with. So, you have the depressions, the anxieties, PTSD, your medical issues, but just specific to a workplace, managing change when you restructure a company, how your employees deal with that, right? You're making change in management, new supervisors coming in, um, your promotions running and running past certain people. You know, those things in the workplace, finances, grief, the loss that we all encounter. We understand our societies and the challenges we have. You know, we have a lot of funerals that we attend. We have a lot of grieving that we... Ought to do, but not necessarily. We don't, we don't have the time or the space to always do it. Um, couples issues, divorce, breakups, trauma, anger issues. Your family, Pep. <laughs> Traumatized by Pep. Um, <laughs> you know, so these are all the things, just part of the human experience that we have to contend to. And if you're coming to work and you have many of these things that you're dealing with, and you show up at work, you can imagine, and that's my, my next meme. You guys have seen this on the social media and the internet? It's a saying, like, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, right? So you don't know what people walk in with and carrying with and dealing with because we don't create spaces for people to share or feel safe sharing. And so what you see is really what's left of them and what they're able to used to interact with you when they're battling and dealing and managing so many other things. And so much of their energy is tied up in just trying to cope. Um, I think between Natalie and Dr. Williams kind of laid the case for the fact that this mental health issue, it will affect productivity. It affects your bottom line in the workplace. So why should you care? I think you're convinced. Was my data convincing that we have an issue? Like mental illness is a thing. And people don't leave their mental health issues at home. They bring it to work. They bring it to school. They bring it into all their spaces, right? So it's going to affect you. Different studies have shown, have quantified how, you know, the, the cost of mental illness and substance use in the workplace, in the US and in the UK. Um, they've also quantified the amount of days. For example, depression is thought to count for up to 400 million lost work days annually. So you know those mental health days, for, for example. Or just being at work but not doing anything, because you can't. You just can't, right? Um, and in the UK, 90, 91 million work days are lost due to symptoms of mental illness. Um, and, you know, just some of the behavioral things that are coming out. If you have the stresses, you're carrying all these things, and then you're in a workplace, that's not necessarily conducive to... Um, your well-being or your mental health or you being able to be open and acknowledge what you're dealing with and get support around it. You'll see increases in workplace accidents, mistakes. Can you not pay attention? You enter data, but (laughs) you have a hundred other things on your mind. You have the customers coming, and you're taking everything a little personal. And worse, you don't have enough people because we're understaffed. All this pressure on you. Poor performance. You you feel like you're not accomplishing anything because there's no feedback. There are no incentives. There there are no spaces where the your management shows their appreciation of you, right? So all of these things affect productivity. It affects well-being. It affects your interpersonal interactions in the workplace, and all of these things. A little picture about people walking around with it affect the bottom line. And another study was published in Lancet, and this is. I think W. H. O. had um, commissioned the work. So, for every U. S. one dollar put into scaling up treatment for depression and anxiety, there was four dollars—a return of four U. S. dollars in improved health and productivity. And we heard some of the data for treating chronic illnesses in Jamaica. And here are some estimates in what it means when you're looking at the mental health issues. Um, So it's, you know, there's another double H.O. It was a theme from a World Health Day many years ago that there's no help without mental health. So you can't just look at the physical, right? Because this, we're integrated people. Like your mindset, your mental health, your emotional health, it affects your physical health. And if you're physically not well, that also affects um, your mental health. And so we really have to understand that as we're putting in initiatives and supporting wellness Addressing the mental health issue is also going to have a major impact on productivity, on well-being, and the quality of the workplace. So that's what the Employee Assistance Program does, right? This is where it comes in. This, and, you know, depending on where you are in your companies, you might already have one. You might just need to scale it up, fine-tune it, look at the... Um, list of services that are being provided, or you might get a place where you've sorted out the wellness piece around the physical activity and the social activities, and now what you need to add to it is the employee assistance program where you're able to provide this benefit to your staff that looks at resolving personal problems that are affecting their health and well-being, and ultimately their work performance. It, they have different names. You can look at it as employee and family assistance programs. You might have heard of that or a member assistance program. But ultimately, the goal is to improve the mental health, specifically a strategy to improve mental health among your staff. So a comprehensive EAP will offer a very robust list, and it really depends on if you're looking at one provider Or you have an agency that's comprehensive and able to offer many different services. But at minimum, you'll have your assessments and individual counseling. So this is someone who a person can present to them, and they can do that interview and figure out what are the areas that need support and provide one-on-one counseling with them. Seminars and workshops, our previous um, presenters spoke about that. So coming in to your workspace during the lunch hour maybe and doing stress management, yoga presentations, nutrition presentations, um, interpersonal relationship building presentations. A host, it really will depend on what your workspace needs, what are some of the challenges you're seeing, or what are the things that your staff are saying they would want to hear more about. They can do referral and follow-up services. So some persons may need to get referred for specific treatment around substance abuse, Someone might need to see a psychiatrist, Um, domestic violence services, uh, financial counseling, financial planning, legal consultations. These are things that your EAP can facilitate, or depending on the provider, they might have that as part of your services already. They can also come into the workplace and do broader organizational assessments to try to understand what is it about your structure, your staff um, relationship, your your policies that might be affecting and leading to some of the behaviors or the, I want to say energy, but there's another word for that, that's in your workplace, critical incident stress management. We've had you know, catastrophic things happen to st- relatives of employees or in a community and really needing, or someone who works in your workplace and really needing to sit with your staff and really hold space for them as they process it. And this is a service that EAP provides for you. Consultations with your HR. Um, You had mentioned I've worked at different levels. I do more people management than I do in private therapy and private practice. So I know the challenges from both ends. And consulting with HR around difficult employees is a valuable service um, that can help you address and work with your staff in a more helpful way and in a more in a less judgmental way and punitive way, probably. They can develop content for you, because a big part of it is having a program in place and having persons show up at a provider is one thing. People will take time before they're ready to make that step, and sometimes it's being able to have material at hand that's easy for them to access. They can access it without feeling watched or judged. Maybe it's sending out newsletters or little blurbs, little mental health tidbits. These are content that your EAP provider can help you craft. Um, And then management coaching, which as managers, you guys will be familiar with. So it's a host of service that you can really work with a provider to package to say, these are the things that will benefit my organization and our workplace. And it's the top strategy if you really want to look at um, relieving, reducing stress and improving the emotional state of your staff. Having an EAP provider and accessing the services most relevant for your business is very important. Okay, Johan is still in the back. Soon finish. (laughs) No cost to employees. So EAP, we said it's an employer-provided benefit. So you can agree and negotiate different packages. So maybe four sessions or four to eight sessions, that's no cost to the employee. I'm going to pay for four sessions for each employee to be able to access. And they access it and it shouldn't be limited to just the employee. Well, it depends on your finances, right? But ideally, most problems occur in a system, right? So whether it's the family system, the workplace system, the community system. So you really having access to other members in the household to be able to come in and also get sessions will really facilitate the healing that needs to happen in a lot of cases is having the EAP with a person external to your staff really brings home the message that it's a safe, supportive, and confidential thing. Confidentiality can be the biggest barrier to a person seeking care, and feeling safe and supported. Might You might have clashes, conflict of interest, going to a supervisor or HR person and unburdening because there are other relationships and power dynamics that the employee is mindful about. Having a professional who this is their job, this is what they're trained to do. Having someone like that for them to access is helpful. And there are different ways it can be provided. So internal, on-site, depending on the size of your company, your organization, you can hire a psychologist as a staff person who has a nice private office somewhere where people are not watching going through the door. And you don't have to take a break. You don't have to leave work. You don't need to go after work or on a Saturday. You can just access that person at work, you can also have a, someone you contract. You have a contract with, and they might come in once a week on a Tuesday, two to eight, and they'll set up appointments and see persons at the office in a private room, well located, suitable for therapy. Or you have an outside person with their own office, and they, the staff, calls, schedule appointments, and goes in and meet with them. So there are different models that you can have. It depends on your organization, your physical structure, and how the logistics work for you. Or you can give out boxes of (laughs) crayons. They work. (laughs) They work. Give out the crayons and then some other things you can do. So, you know, one of the things I was asked to talk about, different resources. So, this website is incredibly useful, right? And not promoting CDC, no conflict of interest, but they have a really well thought through and well researched um, resource list on that. But here are some things, and these are all things that have worked successfully in large companies. So do your surveys, find out what are some of the issues that are happening in your company. You know, we talked to the last presenter, last two presenters said not one size fits fits all, right? You really need to understand the dynamics and the needs and issues for your organization and tailor your intervention to meet that. Normalize discussions of mental health by having senior leadership. So this leadership thing comes up again. You set the tone, right? So you don't have to, but you know, having a space where they can see examples of persons opening up and sharing and understanding that these are human experiences. It's not so um, infrequent as they might think when you're going through something alone. There's the national wellness campaigns. I'm so happy to see it broadcast so widely. Adapt it for your organization, um, and there's support, their resources through the ministry for you to be able to implement some of these things. Having a dedicated quiet room, ideally not connected to the internet, where someone can go in and unplug and recharge. Um, At UCSF, what we have is, it's a conference room, but Wednesdays from 11 to 4, it's a meditation room. So nothing is scheduled in there. Lights are off. You go in there. Sometimes um, someone will come and lead meditation in the room. Other times, you just know you can go and sit quietly, right? Professional, personal growth. I think this is something a lot of our organizations do really well, um, empowerment retreats coaching, coaching sessions um, stress management sessions, yoga, fitness challenges and then providing the connection to a therapist because there's some things that it's more suitable and will be addressed with the proper assessment and treatment <laughs> if you don't have a budget for wellness you can still do it Community outreach, your people in your your city, in your town, the providers, get your spa, people who run the spa, the chiropractors, acupuncturists, naturopaths, gyms, your yogis, and they can come in and do a lunch session. It's a win-win. It's marketing for them. It's information for your staff. It's access. You might be able to negotiate with them for a package deal. Okay, if 10 people sign up with you, you'll give them this rate. So it doesn't have to come from your budget. It really is you providing them access to your staff and to your team while meeting the need that your team has. Network with other HR professionals. People have tried different things. There are some organizations that do it really, really, really well. Find out what they've done. Is there something they're doing that's free of cost, low cost, that you can bring to your company and put in place because you know there's a need, but you just don't have the budget yet. The online resources. The CDC website I mentioned is a really good one. And then Michigan Wellness Counts is another website that they have. It's a statewide initiative, and they have a host of things that they're doing. So check them out. I had this discussion with someone over lunch. They were saying, you might have your EAP, you know, and nobody will go. (laughs) Part of it might be they're just not aware of it, and some of it is like, because you can't tell me that you're going to pay for you miss somebody and they're not going to tell you some me come? Because part of the EAP is you're not going to, you don't need to know who's going, right? You have a contract and the person will bill you and say X number of persons and your employees is going to say, no, I'm going to believe you. You're going to know I'm not using it. So you have to remove and address those barriers around people accessing these services, build awareness of it, emphasize the confidentiality, Emphasize that no issue is too big or too small for you to go. So it doesn't. You don't have to be mad. You, right? Because that's when we go and get help when you're mad. But, and as you know, as a psychologist in Jamaica, everyone who comes into the room, I have to like have that discussion with them because <laughs> they're like, "I'm mad," and I'm like, oh, "No, no, no, That's not. That's not it. That's not why you're here." Understand the needs of your staff because, like I said, match your services to what your staff needs, right? So get the provider that will fit with your workplace or a suite of providers that fit with that. Make sure the hours work. Um, so a lot of our businesses are nine to five and our services are nine to five when people are supposed to get things done, right? So the hours need to work. Make sure, address the costs. Make sure it's easy for them to access. Could be online, 24 call lines. These are all things to work through as you're designing it. And I'm done. And the bottom line is, an EAP is a good thing. It has many benefits for your company. It's going to improve productivity. It's going to improve the emotional health and well-being of your staff. Um, And these are all good things, not just... For your bottom line, because really it's the right thing to do for the people who are supporting you and working with you and for your friends and your colleagues, right? I'm done. Thank you. I felt so anxious with Joanne standing there. (laughs) My mentee.
0: (laughs) Yes, I am your mentee. (laughs) Thank you, Charlene. Um, A round of applause for Charlene. Um, Really a very talented Right, lady. It's a pleasure working with her. She's so down to earth, approachable. Um, one of the things that I forgot to mention at the beginning, although you may have seen it in our email communications, about Para Consulting. So it's a group of individuals who are globally experienced. We've worked across several industries, including academia, um, private enterprise, and research, and we've shared alum. Uh, you know, I keep mixing up those things. I'm going home to read it this evening. I don't know when I'm supposed to say alumni. Um, but we share alma mater, alma alma maters. I'm going to look that up too. Um, but we share institutions of education, and we have an overlapping network. And so we do work together. And one of the things that Charlene does very well is research, and we keep each other accountable So one of the things we do is improve healthcare across clinics in Kingston and we use data to map what we're doing and to be responsive um, to that. So we work together to provide employee assistance programs that are tailored to the organization and that's supported by um, we're setting up a 24-hour line so when you can't get us in the office hours um, you can contact qualified, suitably trained individuals during the evening when you're off work. And an intervention can be set up for an appointment for you to see a trained and qualified person. Because sometimes it's when you get home that you get a chance to jump on the phone and to raise an issue. You don't have that ta- the time to do that um, during the daytime. So that's something that you can contact us about. Do you have any questions at all for Charlene? Well, wow. <laughs> I saw Sonita first. One, One, two, three.
2: So my agency, Rise Life Management Services, um, offers EAPs and have done for quite a long time. Um, What we have found is that local companies are not willing to spend the money to put Uh in EAPs. The companies that we work with are companies that are headquartered usually in North America. Uh, For example, we work for Sutherland, which is a BPO that has over 4,000 employees. So we have... uh, Um, psychologists, psychiatrists, island-wide, and we run a -a 24-hour-a-day service. So I do have my EAP brochures, if anyone is interested. Um, But again, the point is that um, generally local companies are not willing to spend the money on their employees to put in an EAP. That's what we have found, anyway. Yes,
0: yes, yes. yes. And a part of the conversation is just demonstrating to them the... The, the need um, and the data. The importance and the impact on productivity.
2: Anyway, I have brochures if anybody's interested.
3: I'd like to thank you for that presentation. Um, being in, I worked at Bellevue for five years, then made a transition into corporate. So you see persons with signs of mental illness. However, the challenge is getting them to admit or getting them help. How do you suggest going
1: about that? I heard someone say, admit. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's hard. And if you're at Bellevue, you, so you're very familiar with mental health settings and mental health situations. And the process of getting someone to move from a space of denial or just being unaware and not having that capacity to self-reflect, it takes time. And so having the culture of your organization supportive of help seeking, having someone in the organization who can establish a trusting relationship with the individual, because that really is going to be required to get them to move into the help seeking mode. Sometimes it requires engaging family members are important persons in the, in the person's life and sharing those concerns with them and having them be a part of that process of talking to the person and presenting the different options to them. The other, one of the other things that I'd mentioned in terms of the difficulty of getting persons to seek help, it needs to be easy as well. So sometimes getting the help might not be making that appointment and showing up. But having access to an EAP with a 24 hour call line or a text line or an online app where they can send a message to someone or WhatsApp someone and begin a conversation could be a lot easier mm-hmm. to them than getting them to go and make an appointment and show up at a psychiatrist. Because that's hard and it can take a lot. But do you need the trusting relationship, whether it's someone in the workplace or engaging family members or someone, you know, the person is close to and can trust as well and then ensuring that there is a very accessible and low threat space for them to get the help from that can make it a little easier excellent and easier might still be months and months and months (laughs) so a final because it's a process
0: thank you a final question from dr harris and then we have next speaker
3: Thank you very much. Um, mine is not so much a question as a comment, and I think that this, this other question has led into it very nicely. Um, as, I, as was said earlier, I'm from the Pan-American Health Organization, which is the regional body, the region of the Americas, of the World Health Organization. And what I like very much that you highlighted the, the challenges with Um, persons with mental issues particularly among the patients with the, the persons living with HIV and AIDS lots of depression and that sort of thing and just wanted to make the point that one of the strategies that we have been using is we have been training the clinicians in the general setting so because there's a challenge to admit and to go to see a psychiatrist what we have been doing is training the general physicians to know, recognize, identify, and begin appropriate management of persons with mental health issues. So we are just this year working with the team from the National HIV Program um, to do what WHO has put out, is WHO, World Health Organization, the mh gap mental health gap because we recognize that there's a gap and so we train primary care physicians in the health centers in the in the hiv sites to identify treat and manage patients so that's one of the opportunities and so um i'm not speaking specifically about in the workplace but as you have more and more persons able to recognize and identify there's a there's a there's a ground swell so people have opportunities to get that sort of advice, caring, and, and the, the general practitioners are also trained to identify when it's more than they can handle and refer on further.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much.